Dave and Ryan's movie review, take eight, and action. Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan, two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax, because the show is about to begin. Cue Dave and Ryan in three, two, one. It's Dave and Ryan's movie review. Sponsored by nobody. That's right. Welcome into another week of talking about movies, and we really have a good time with this one. Uh, Let's kind of lay out where we're going with this one. Of course, you know, we're going to talk. We went and saw the Barbie movie on Thursday. Yes, we did. Uh, Yes, we did. We'll talk more about that and give you a little heads up as far as that movie is concerned. Um, Then today with Pioneer Day coming up this on Monday. We wanted to talk about movie pioneers. So we've got a few different ones that we're going to cover and talk about. And then, of course, one of my favorite segments, because it just makes it for a really good conversation always. So bad, it's good. <laughs> yes, and we got a few doozies. We got a couple of good ones for you. But this time, our first thing we got to do, let's go to Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard. A place of glitz, glamour, and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood. All right, to start out This Week in Hollywood, I guess we got to talk about the strike. Um, Now, everyone, of course, is pointing fingers at everybody else. That's the way strikes work, right? Oh, yeah. It's always someone else's fault. (laughs) And it's always all we're hearing is the studio executives make too much money. And what the actors are asking for is is unrealistic in the climate that Hollywood is in right now. So I I did a little bit of digging on some information. Uh, We're talking about the fact that studio executives make too much money. Well, last year, one of the main studio executives that's in like the the center of the firestorm on this one is Bob Iger of of Disney. Um, He just re-upped. He's going to be there until the end of 2026. And if he hits all of his, you know, benchmarks and everything that he's supposed to, he could walk away with $31 million at the end of the year. Wow. Okay, that's a pretty good chunk of change, right? Just for the year? Just for the year. All right, so let's talk about, oh, Dwayne Johnson, okay? Last year, he made $42 million for two movies, okay? And we're talking Jungle Cruise and Red Notice. Two movies, and he made $42 million. Now, this comes on the heels of Amazon Studios is, is making a movie with him in it called Red One. It's a Christmas movie. It'll come out about Christmas time. You want to take a shot at how much he's going to make for one movie? Uh, four dollars, fifty million dollars. Wow, for one movie. Um, Barry Diller is the former CEO of Paramount Pictures, and he says, you know, here, here's what needs to happen. It, not that it will. He says there's a disparity. You've got your top studio executives and your top paid actors, and you know maybe they should agree to take a twenty five percent pay cut in good faith. That'll never happen. Yeah. Okay, to try and kind of narrow the difference between. Uh, those that get the high-paid uh, jobs and those that don't. So just kind of to even out the playing field. Uh, this is not going to end anytime soon, I don't think. No, and, and you know, the kind of add on to your point there, uh, this, um, you know, the Actors Guild, they're not really there for the top-paying actors. They're going to get the big money. These are for, like, the lower actors, the ones who are, like, 
uh, in the background or do commercials. You know, this you know this uh, union more for them than the big ones. Right, and and be, and you know to that point, uh, you don't hear Dwayne Johnson saying anything. No, not at all. Uh, another one that nobody seemed to bat an eye was Tom Cruise's paycheck for Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Uh, I was reading something the other day. I don't remember who it was, but um, they was talking about how they were getting like 18 cents from uh, Hulu for reruns of their TV show. 18 cents an episode. That's pennies. She would get, uh, it, was a, it was a female, said she would get like maybe 85 cents a month. For, yeah, for and, they, and and you're starting to see that come out more and more. Yeah. There's more writers and stuff that are taking pictures of their residual checks and putting them on Instagram or, or Facebook or out on social yeah. media so people really know what they're dealing with. Uh, but as I said, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I've heard rumors that they're wanting to push it all the way into October. Wow. I, honestly, I think it's going to go a little past October, but we'll see how it is. We'll see how it is. Um, on a On a brighter note, this week... Marks the 15th anniversary of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. I can't believe that it's that long, been that long ago. Why is it every show he always brings something up DC? Every episode. It's because this was a good movie and... It was. It was a good movie. Okay, so let me get there why we're talking about this because we're going to have a little discussion. Of course, Christian Bale, Gary Oldman, and Heath Ledger, who actually won a posthumous uh, Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his betrayal as the Joker. Now... I I'm, might take some heat for this. I think you're going to. Because <laughs> if it's what we talked about the other day, yeah, I think you're going to have people riding in front of your house. I have a feeling that if Heath Ledger had lived, he does not win an Oscar. And I 100% disagree with you on that. And I just... I just feel, you know, and I looked at who he was up against in the mm-hmm. supporting actor category. The one that really sticks out to me is Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's no longer with us also. Yeah. Um, in the movie Doubt, fabulous actor, fabulous movie. But you know what? At, at best, it is a fabulous performance that he, ha- he had in that movie. Yeah, I, I will agree that he would, you know, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been his only competition and it would have been a tight call, but I still think uh, Heath Ledger would have came out so on top there. So he gets there. the edge. All right, the uh, box office for the week that was... Uh, number five, Elemental, hanging in there with $8.7 million, a total of $125.2 million, so not too shabby. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, a $12 million week. Yeah. Wow. It's good um, week. Up to $145.3 million total. Insidious, the number one movie last week, falls down to number three with Insidious, the Red Door, $13 million, $58 million total. The Sound of Freedom, the movie that could. Yeah. Climbing up from number three to number two this week, a $27 million week, a total of $85.4 million. And, of course, we all knew who was going to be number one. We just didn't know by how much. Uh, Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Part 1. The week total, 56.2 or the weekend. But let's not forget, it opened on a Wednesday. Yeah. So a total of $80 million already for Mission Impossible Go, 7. Go, Tom Cruise. Right. He'll get paid for that one. <laughs> All right. Before we go, we're, before we get into it today, as I said, we got a lot of things planned. We're going to talk a lot, a lot of stuff. We'll talk about Barbie, but we got to get that honest movie review right. Let's get her done. All right. It's now time for another honest movie review. Today we go back to 1987 
and revisit the horror thriller Jaws 4, The Revenge. Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, The Revenge. This time, it's personal. The shark roared. It roared like a f***ing lion. I feel bad for Michael Caine. It's a testament to his talent that he managed to recover from this piece of garbage. Can't wait to speak with you again next week. You know, I remember that movie was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. And the line, he roared, he roared. And the funnier part of it is, I will never forget the tagline this time. It's personal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness that Michael Caine was able to recover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah sold you know, his soul you know, to the devil. That's right. He was in some really great DC movies, Michael Caine was. <laughs> just give it up, man. Just give it up. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in just a bit. We're going to talk about Barbie, so stick right where you're at. Everyone on set, shut up. Shut up. These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's movie review segment one, action. What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it. So you're the first to hear about it. And this week's latest release is Barbie. One of the most popular toys in history comes to life as Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Let's see what Dave and Ryan think of Barbie, which is rated PG-13 and playing nationwide. All right, so as I said, we went and saw this movie on Thursday. I liked it more than I thought it would, but that doesn't mean that I liked it that much. Let's put it that way. What does that even mean? Right? All right. So, of course, it's Barbie. The budget, I've got down about 100 to $145 million estimated budget, uh, starring Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, uh, Will Ferrell, John Cena, Helen Mirren, and Michael Sarah, who was actually pretty good in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For all the beatings that he took. Uh, director, actress, writer, and director, Greta Gerwig. Runtime, about an hour 40, or 54 minutes. So, it's not overly long. No, it's really not. It is rated PG-13 for suggestive references and brief language. <laughs> yes. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But um, as the lady said, uh, Barbie wakes up one morning in her perfect Barbie land. And that's what it's called is Barbie land. And she's just feeling not like she should. She feels yeah, like there's something a little off. A little off. Um, and she... They're at a big dance party, and she they're all talking, and the first thing that starts it off is she said, do you guys ever think of dying? And, like, it just goes silent. Yeah, like radio off. Boom. <laughs> You're like, you, not even crickets. And so that's one of these thoughts that's in her head. And the next morning she wakes up, and it's like the same day over and over again. Every day is perfect. Yes, every day is perfect. And she wakes up, and all of a sudden she goes and gets dressed up. She goes to the beach. And all of a sudden, her feet are flat because all Barbies walk on their tiptoes. Yep, I was in heels. And she, her feet are flat. So now she knows there's something really wrong. Yeah, she can't walk or stand. She can't. No, she can't walk. She can't stand. So they tell her she's got to go see Weird Barbie. <laughs> and that is what her name is. It's, she's played by Kate McKinnon. 
And I'll tell you what, every little girl out there had a weird Barbie. Yeah. This is the one that you cut the hair off of or you, um, you know, drew all over her or anything like that. Um, the funnier thing is, is why is she always in the splits? Yeah. <laughs> and Kate McKinnon is in the splits for the majority of the time that she's on screen. And she's just telling her, you know, here's what's going on. You've got this balance that's off. And whoever is the one that is playing with you in the real world is feeling this way. Yep. So you need to go to the real world and find out, what's you know, going what's on? going on. See what you can do to make her better. So she decides she's got to go to the real world. Ken sneaks along for the ride. Ryan Gosling. Ken. That's the other thing in Barbie land. All the women, with the exception of Skipper and Midge, are Barbie. Mm-hmm. And in, also in Barbie land, all the men, with the exception of Alan, played by Michael Sarah, is Ken. Yep. Okay? So there, there you have that basis. Because Barbie can do anything. Yes. So you have President Barbie. You have, you know, Dr. Barbie. All these things. So anyway... Um, they have to go through this big, long thing. It actually kind of was funny that Will Ferrell's in this movie because it reminded me of Buddy the Elf's journey to New York City. <laughs> that you've got to go through this, and you've got to go through this. Mm. And you gotta... So they make it to the real world, and they find out that it's just not really anything like Barbie Land. It's the complete opposite. People are mean. Yeah. People make fun of other people. And men run the world. And Ken finds out that men are in charge. Yeah. And Ken thinks... That's a pretty good thing. Uh, and he's obsessed with horses. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second. So Barbie actually gets kidnapped by Will Ferrell and the cronies at I Mattel. Say well, she kidnapped. goes she yeah. goes with him. Anyway, so Ken decides he's going to go back to Barbie Land. Yep. So Barbie makes her way, gets uh, gets out of it. Uh, she meets uh, Rhea Perlman's character while she's trying to escape Mattel. And Rhea Perlman plays Ruth, and you know you'll find more out about her at the end of the movie. I really don't want to give yep, that no part spoilers, away. No spoilers. I don't want to give that part away. So she gets back to Barbie Land, and everything is changed. Yes. It is not Barbie's dream house anymore. No, no, it is Ken's Roundup Mojo Dojo yeah. or something. <laughs> Why do you have to say it like that? Yeah. <laughs> But it, 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 everything, men have kind of taken over Barbie land. Yeah, it's like over testosterone everywhere with Ken. Yes. Men have taken over. Um, men have taken over the Supreme Court. Men are now the president. So it's kind of like making it like the real world. Kind yes. Of. So anyway, um, Barbie makes her way back and she's done a little soul searching along the way. And she finally kind of realizes how Ken's feel. Yeah. Because everything in Barbie land is Barbie. Everything's about Barbie. They don't know where Ken goes at night. They yeah. don't know what he does. If Barbie doesn't talk to Ken, Ken has a horrible day. And Ken, you know, Ken, here's the story. Here's here's what made it kind of hit home for me. Um, because I'm sure there are people out there that through high school and in high school were friend zoned. Yeah. Ken is friend zoned. Period. He's not getting out of it ever. No. So, um, but... Ken kind of sees the error of his ways. He uh, does a completely uh, insane and unnecessary dance number in this thing to, <laughs> for a battle. Yeah. You uh, do get to hear Ryan Gosling sing one of my favorite songs in the whole movie, uh, I'm Just Ken, because that's how he feels. That's how all the Kens feel. Yeah. Um, so this movie, I'll, I'll tell you what. Do some research. If you're thinking of taking the kids to this one, 
do some research on it, read up on it, find out what really happens in the movie. Because remember, at the end of the day, it is still rated PG-13. Oh, yeah, Th- this movie is definitely not uh, targeted towards little kids at all. Um, this movie is mostly targeted probably uh, for teenagers to people in their early 30s. Um, just because there's a lot of adult humor in it. And honestly, when I was watching this one, it kind of reminded me of like the Deadpool style of filming. You know, not with the blood and gore, but the way they filmed it. You know, there was a lot of fourth wall breaks that were funny. Uh, there was a lot of uh, inside humor that, um, you know, the little kids aren't going to get. And uh, at the end, you know, after you're watching this, you kind of learn something. Because I didn't know all that history of uh, Barbie. But, you know, it was uh, it was filmed really well. The cinematography and the dance choreographs were amazing. Uh, and, and you learn and you see and you meet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all these Barbies that you didn't even know existed. But every Barbie that they talk about in this movie really existed. Yeah. I love it when Will Ferrell screams, ah! I thought we discontinued that one. Yeah. <laughs> what was Midge? Yeah. Midge, I thought we discontinued you. That one and then the, the preteen Midge. And I'll let you just I'll let you just watch that one. Or look it up and see what what the preteen Midge does, okay? Um, but once again, it, this is another one of those movies where I I saw it with my daughter. And it is, um, if you're a girl dad and your kids are a little older and can kind of understand what's going on in it, take them and go see this movie. It is, it's a great movie for dads or for moms even that want to show their daughter, Hey, this, this, this is why Barbie was created. It was created to show kids or to show girls, little girls, in fact, that they can do anything. Yep. And that's what this movie kind of screams. So I gave it three and a half popcorn buckets out of five. Uh, Not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. You'll go and you'll have fun. There's things in it that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, I gave it four popcorn buckets. You know, this is a movie that's definitely not afraid to make fun of itself. And uh, you'll go in there thinking one thing and you'll come out thinking another. And honestly, we enjoyed it. And and that's the thing, too, is is we talked about that before we saw it. This is... You know, this is going to be one of those movies that I think I'm really going to enjoy more than I feel like I do when I'm walking in. Yeah. And I did. You I, did. I, you did. I liked it. And the other thing that you brought up, too, we knew that for this movie to work, it had to make fun of itself. Yes. And it does. So, great movie. If Barbie's not your speed, King Cole this week, you've got Barbie. You've got the new Christopher Nolan movie, Oppenheimer. We'll talk about that one a little bit next week. And you've also got Mission Impossible 7. uh, Why do I keep losing that? Mission (laughs) Impossible 7. uh, Go see those movies. Mission Impossible, all of them are good movies. Dead Reckoning. Dead Reckoning. Why do I keep forgetting the name of that movie? You're getting old, Dave. Uh, That's got to be it. It's got to be it. So those are at the King Cole. They're actually going to move Sound of Freedom to the Price Theater. If you haven't gone and seen it, here's your chance. And uh, go and enjoy that one. Well, as much as you can. Yeah. As much as you can. But it is a great film, so go and see those. All right. Next week, we're going to see what Disney can do. The Haunted Mansion. We'll go see that one next week, and we'll talk all about it. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about movie pioneers. It's Pioneer Day coming up pretty quick. So we'll talk about some movie pioneers. Maybe you'll learn something. I did. Those are the funnest ones, right? So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, idiots. We're back from commercial. 
Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment two, and action. Hollywood, as we know it today, started its life in the second decade of the 20th century with the rise of production facilities in Southern California. We fast forward to 2023, and now we have a billion dollar industry filled with sleazebags who occasionally make a movie that Ryan actually likes. So who paved the way for billionaires to fight with millionaires over contract negotiations? I'd like to know. They're responsible for Fran Drescher's cringeworthy speech. <laughs> or maybe even some that have elevated the game to get it to where it's at today. Well, school is in session. Dave and Ryan are about to tell us now. All right, so with Pioneer Day coming up, we, we thought this would be a fun topic to kind of go into um, because we went all the way back. This is a big topic. Oh, yeah. And Ryan and I were talking about the fact that this may even be one that we uh, come back to a little later on and kind of continue the conversation. So we're, we're going to start the early days. I mean, Ryan went way back, and we're going to talk about the, the movie pioneers that kind of started things off to kind of get us along to where we're at now, right? Yeah, yeah. And for me, I chose uh, Louis and Auguste Lumiere. They were French manufacturers of photography equipment. Uh, known for their uh, cinematograph motion picture system, noted for being the first to have a presentation of projected film and credited with being the birth of cinema. So these guys basically invented the movie-going experience with their uh, their uh, motion picture system that they had. Right, and, and you may mention here to, to Edison's Kinetoscope, but it was better than that. Yeah, so uh, Edison's... Uh, uh, invention was basically uh, something that would just stay on the ground or uh, you know in one place you had to you know put the quarter in and look into it and uh, the w wheel inside would spin basically and there's really no sound or anything uh, you just couldn't really go anywhere with with these guys is uh, um, invention um, they could capture something on, on in their camera and then they could project it on a screen so it's not just, you know, one person, you multiple people at one time. So their their device actually did everything. Yeah, they like I said, they were like the birth of uh, cinema. They were the first ones to have people pay to go see what they have filmed. And, and the, the and the fact the difference between what Edison created and what they created is it was as you said it was something for the masses. Yeah, something they can take uh anywhere where Edison's, you know, they had to have electricity where with this, um, you know, you always see those old filmmakers with the crank. That was basically kind of what this was. So then we're going to take that. And that was when, Oh, that was at the, in the 1800s, a long time okay, ago. Okay. Then we got to fast forward all the way, uh, to 1927 and, and the movie, the jazz singer with Al Jolson, a lot of people think, that the jazz singer was really the first talking motion picture. And it was really what they called a part talkie, I guess, because it had it had synchronized audio, but it also had like subtitles on the screen. Yeah. And, and before that, you know, uh, people, um, they would go around showing films projected and there'd be a guy with a piano. Right. They always had like the back. Yeah, so they had, they had music that would go with it and they had to start at certain times. But this is the like you said, this is the first one where it was all combined into one. And it was synchronized and it was together. Um, then advertised as what they're calling the first all-talking picture. Get this. How would you like to be a studio that had this kind of an investment? 
uh, was called Lights of New York. It came out in 1928, okay? And in, in 1928, it cost $23,000, and it brought in over a million dollars at the box office. Wow. Now, if you if you extrapolate that to 2023, the $23,000 price tag becomes $400,000, and it brought in a total of $17.8 million. There isn't a studio out there that wouldn't jump on a movie like that. No, no. And speaking of uh, uh, studios, back in the day when after they've, cre- you know, they've added sound to video, um, the sound was the most important part of the whole film. It took priority over director and acting and everything. They would film these big, giant musical numbers. You've seen the ones where the guy's walking up and down the stairs and there's the dancers or um, when the, the sailor guy's dancing in the with the long curtains. All the sound had to be perfect. And if it wasn't, you had to start from the top. You had to start all there over again. There was no editing. It was do it perfect or we're doing it again. You know, one of the first movies that I really remember, um, as, as far as motion pictures are concerned, where the sound just kind of hit me in the face. And it was, I, I believe I even watched it on VHS, to be totally honest with you. But the sound just kind of hits you in the face and the music and everything was Gone with the Wind. Yes, and, and you, you hear that overture at the beginning and it just the sound just kind of almost blows you away at, at that movie. And I believe that movie came out in like 1939 is when Gone with the Wind coming out but came out. But if we're going to talk about pioneers and, you know, I know there will be people out there that are just going to roll their eyes over this one. We have to talk about a pioneer in, a, in the very sense of the word. And we have to talk about Walt Disney. Yeah, but uh, before we get into that, um, if anyone's interested about the whole sound uh, with movie, you know, there was a movie a few years ago called The Art, called The Artist, which perfectly captured your whole topic about sound and film. So, you know, if you want to learn more about that, go check that out. I remember that film. Yep. So, but Walt Disney, quite honestly, uh, put out some brown, groundbreaking stuff in 1937 with, it was the first... Uh, full-length animated feature film, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes. And this was one of those films that was the first time they ever did a a full-length feature, and it was the first time that they used what they called, I believe they called it cells. And they actually painted on the cells. Yes, yes. uh, and, And that was how they did the animation then. Yeah, if you're wondering what that is, so imagine uh, you get you get a bunch of uh, you get a box and you put a camera at the very top of the box looking down into the box and then you put layers of glass that are a few inches apart. So that way you add depth to it. And so like on uh, Snow White, they would move the glass and then they would separate it. So it looks like when you're panning through the forest, it looks like everything's moving. And it would actually be interesting to see, okay, this is when they started working on Snow White. Yep. And this is when it finally came to uh, fruition. And the, the thing about those cells are there are some originals out there for Snow White, and you can make a lot of money if you've yes. got one. They are hot collector's items. Um, so then we haven't really even talked about, like I said, we'll go into some of the, the modern pioneers. Uh, we got to talk about uh, Tomlinson Holman, who created THX while he worked for Lucasfilms. Yep. So he worked for them, but now THX is owned by Lucasfilms because he worked for them. Yeah. 
and and the sound that came with that one. And then we need to, t- you know, we'll get into talking about Dolby and Dolby sound and their Atomos sound. That's the new one. That's the big one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the IMAX theaters that are just huge. Yeah, I now. remember going to a theater, and you know, you they played that uh, Adobe sound. Uh, Boom! Yeah. That would just pan across the theater, and he always gave you like the hair and goosebumps. It was one of those things that you almost went to the movie just for that, though. Yeah, you know, and and I, I the one of the more modern movies that I can remember that sound was huge, and and I don't know if you have a film that was like this, but the opening scene to Jurassic Park, where they're where they're feeding the Velociraptors and everything. And the sound in that one just, I mean, it made you wake up, really. And I don't know if, if you have a movie that's like that with you that you know can, you can remember that and, and it sticks with you. Because what, Jurassic Park came out in what, 92, 91? Somewhere around and there. And it's I think still it was, there today. It's yeah. still with me. Yeah, so, so sound is important in all film, you know. Sound, uh, pretty much sound is what makes the movie. Um, or I should say sound and lack of sound because uh, silence is a big key factor. Um, the the most notable uh, one I can think of in the last few years was in the Star Wars movie where there, um, where I don't remember who was, she warped through another ship and then it was just silent. Yeah, well, in the Barbie movie. Yeah. I mean, it, you have these loud music playing, mm-hmm. everybody's partying, everybody's having a great time, and she says the line if, if, and asks if anybody ever thinks about dying, and it just stops. It's like the movie stops, mm-hmm. and sound is huge. Oh, yeah. Well, when, when we're talking about sound, we're not just talking about dialogue or music. We're talking like, like little things, like um, you see someone walking down the street, and you can hear their footsteps. You don't. They don't have someone with a microphone covering his, their f- footsteps. They have someone in a, f- a sound studio who, who watches it, and they do... Um, uh, Is it Foley work? Yeah, Foley work, where they get some flip-flops or something, and they, make th- they watch the film, and they, they put it together. Th- you know, that is one of the most uh, underrated things in film industry that not a lot of people, because it's, it's background noise. People don't care about it. That's very true. And another thing before we get out of here, i got to say this. Um, if you ever want to watch a scary movie but don't want to be too scared, just turn the sound off. <laughs> sound is what makes a movie scary. Yeah, it truly, truly sound does. And lack of sound. And and we'll, like I said, we'll revisit this topic and we'll talk about. As I said, I think personally for me, what he did with uh, Terminator Two, uh, James Cameron is is a a pioneer, a modern pioneer when it comes to movie making. Um, there may be an argument for for George Lucas is a pioneer when it comes to making movies. But there are all these aspects and things that people kind of don't even realize that happen that someone had to come up with the idea for yeah, that. That's normal today. And, and that is just goes, the, as you said, that's the norm. So we're going to we'll talk about this topic again. This is a good one. I enjoyed talking about this kind of stuff and we'll kind of bring it forward and carry it and and talk about more modern things. All right. Coming up. Oh, it's the one you've been waiting for so bad that it's good. And we got a couple of doozies here for this one. All right, imbeciles. Everyone quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment three, and action. Here's the question of the day. Mm -hmm. Why is it so hard to look away from a train wreck? 
Well, studies have found that our negativity bias is also a driver of why we can't divert our attention from disasters. Oh. So, what does this have to do with movies? Well, whatever the reason, a truly horrid piece of work can become an unintentional riot, and it even gets its own fandom. Which makes perfect sense. Why else would anyone watch an Alec Baldwin movie? And so now, Dave and Ryan will tell us where the line lies between simply so bad it's horrible and so bad it's good. And it is a very fine line. We it should is, say it that. Is. It, it is. You know, there, there are movies I always look at when I judge a movie on whether it's so bad that it's good. I usually judge a movie that, for one, just takes itself way too seriously. Like The Flash. And it turns into a comedy. Like The Flash. Okay. <laughs> I'm done talking about it. I told you. We're done. We're moving on to other terrible movies, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So for my movie this week, I have picked the 1986 fantastic movie, Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> What the dick is going on around here? You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Ah! Jesus coming, he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. I did not know that Dino De Laurentiis pr- produced this movie. Really? Yeah, maybe that's why Giada started cooking because she w- this movie just was tor- that bad. <laughs> that Dino said he was going to quit cooking, cook, quit making movies. All right, so Maximum Overdrive five point four on IMDb. Okay, uh, Rotten Tomatoes score the critics score fifteen <laughs> percent, a fifty percent yeah. audience score. All right, yeah. uh, here is the gist of this movie: their comet comes through. Causes radiation storm on Earth, and machines come to life and turn against the makers. So, uh, could this be a precursor to AI? Ooh, uh, who who knows? That's a good one. Who knows? Uh, the main part of the movie takes place in a, a North Carolina truck stop, where a group of survivors must fend off themselves or fend for themselves, excuse me, against a mass of homicidal trucks. <laughs> Uh, the diner cook, Emilio Estevez, kind of comes out as the unlikely leader of the pack. He's trying to find an escape plan for himself and the other survivors who include his boss and a newlywed couple. You know who else is in this movie? Who? Uh, Yardley Smith. And you may not know the name, but you definitely know the voice because she is the voice of Lisa Simpson. Ooh. So Lisa Simpson's in this movie. Nice. Does she play <laughs> the saxophone? Not that I am aware of. I can't remember. It probably would have taken her face off. <laughs> All right, so uh, this movie was actually directed by Stephen King. Really? Yes, and it's the only film that he directed. And when asked why he hasn't directed anything since They're Maximum like, Overdrive, <laughs> he said, "Just watch Maximum Overdrive." <laughs> That's why he hasn't made a movie since then. At least he admits it. <laughs> That's right. Um, the other thing, as I was doing research on this, apparently during this film, uh, Stephen King was coked out of his mind. All the time. Him I guess Emilio? he had a little bit of a cocaine problem. Did Charlie Sheen visit his brother on set? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he hooked him up. Uh, probably the thing that people, most people are going to remember about this film is the semi-truck 
with the goblin face on the grill. I remember seeing that at the at the video store as a child. Seeing, I was like, "Wow, that looks no, just no." <laughs> Slightly scary. Yes. Um, the other thing that it was good about this movie, if you can find anything that was good about this movie, ACDC did the soundtrack. Oh, that's... So you can't beat that. Who no. made who? You shook me all night long. Uh, ACDC did the entire soundtrack for Maximum Overdrive. So in the immortal words of Carl Spackler, they had that going for him, which is <laughs> nice. Um, this movie is actually based on a, a short story called Trucks. Yes. From the mo- the book... Night Shift, written by Stephen King. And so I got to looking at that book. Do you realize how many other movies came out of that? Uh, here, here's the just the movies. The Lawnmower Man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Boogeyman that you didn't want to go see. No. Uh, Children of the Corn is actually yeah. in that book. Graveyard Shift. Which one what was that about? It, it was there's something lurking in, uh, I believe it was a copper or a silver mine. And they get a bunch of people together to go and investigate. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, let's go into the scary mine. Why not? Especially when there's something shady going on. <laughs> that sounds like a Scooby-Doo episode, yeah, actually. Horrible. One. Right? Uh, sometimes they come back. Cat's Eye and Fair The enough. Mangler. I remember Cat's Eye. Have all been turned into feature films. The funny thing about all of those films, we could probably talk about them in this category. Yeah, none, of them are, none of them are all that great. Children of the Corn was okay. I would almost put Children of the Corn in cult-like status. I think people yeah, kind of gravitate they, they to that first one. A bunch of those, haven't they? They did. Cat, they did. Cat's Eye was it was it was scary too. Yeah, it was different. The, the little trolls. Thing. Yeah, it was it was definitely definitely different. Um, but yeah, all those movies came out of a book of short stories. So you know, not many of them are going to be good because they were short stories. Yeah. We need to make an hour film. An hour-long film out of a 20-paragraph <laughs> novel. novel, short story. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Let's go with that. Um, at the other end of this, you kind of kind of wonder if uh, Stephen King actually puts this movie above Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, because we know how he felt about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're both sitting next to each other in the garbage can. And probably. Uh, the interesting thing that I found out about this, though, is during this time when when he was just starting out as a writer and stuff like that, he had a, a thing called, he called it Dollar Baby Adaptations, okay? And this allowed students that were film students to give him $1 for anything in that book. Hmm. And they could make it and, and use it as like a project for school or, or something like that. But he would give them the rights to that story for a dollar if they were a film student. Well, that, that's that's a good idea. It's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. In fact, I can just imagine being a film student and being like, I have access to all these stories. I can make it something creative in my right. way. And, and one guy got a little greedy, and he bought six of them. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Leave something for the rest of us, all right? <laughs> so, But Maximum Overdrive, uh, it's, to be totally honest, it's not that far-fetched. It's really not with the way things are going right now with artificial intelligence and what they say could happen and those kinds of things. Dave, Dave, so are this, we going to call this, this, this a, a horrible are, movie? Are we going to call this a cutting edge movie for 1986? <laughs> let, let, Ahead of its time. It's a setup for uh, Terminator. <laughs> uh, something like that. I, I don't know. But, you know, there's funny moments in it that aren't meant to be funny, but 
people with my sense of humor laugh at uh, when the guy's getting the crap beat out of him by the vending machine because <laughs> it just keeps shooting cokes at him. Yeah. Um, somebody actually gets injured, and I can't remember what happens with the ATM, just keeps rifling out money at him. Um, but, you know, an electric knife in the kitchen goes haywire. Go go find this movie, give it a watch, see what you think about it. Then, And that takes care of me. Ryan, what do you got? I have the movie The Ice Pirates. At last, the space comedy you didn't know you were waiting to see. The Ice Pirates. In the far distant future, in a galaxy where those in the know don't go, real estate is cheap, and they've got great sushi. But there's no water. You got any uh, water? It is a time when desperate men will swing from the chandeliers. Just to get a drink. The Ice Pirates. A totally spaced adventure. So, The Ice Pirates is a horrible, horrible movie that's so bad, it's hilarious. So, it was directed and written by Stuart Raffel, who also directed Across the Great Divide, Mac and Me. I don't know if you see Another seen it. It was great, an e. fabulous, terrible spoof. movie. And uh, another one that um, I wasn't really sure about, uh, Tommy, uh, Tammy and the T-Rex, which is a horrifying movie. It's, it's got uh, Den- Denise Richards and Paul Walker. Paul Walker character dies, and he comes back. Uh, a mad scientist puts his head in an automatronic T-Rex. <laughs> quality, quality yeah, film. It, 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 is, it is bad. But um, it stars Robert Urich, who was uh, who plays Jason. He was in Magnum Force, Lonesome Dove. Uh, Marty Crosby, uh, he, uh, she played Princess uh, Karina. She was in Dallas and The Love Boat. Uh, Michael D. Roberts, he was Roscoe. Uh, he was in Rain Man, A Star is Born, the newer one, not the older one. Um, I know I'm going to slaughter this name, but everyone knows who she is. Angel- Angelia? Angelica Angelica. Hudson? Angelica Hudson. Uh, she may played uh, Madrid. She's from people know her from the Adams family, the original ones from the '90s, uh, the Witches, and a slew of Wes Anderson films. This also had Ron Perlman in it, one of his early roles. Now, this movie, uh, it's kind of like uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, Spaceballs. Just fell and tripped into a door and smashed her face. It starts off where. Um, uh, they're, the pirates are trying to steal ice from uh, the, the big empire or whatever um, uh, they're called, and they get caught. And instead of being uh, thrown in prison, they're they're reformed. <laughs> and it, by reform is very loose words. Um, the men ha- basically have their private parts cut off. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, that doesn't end up happening. And then, um, you know, the princess, uh, she kind of trying to find her father, and she kind of joins them. And this whole adventure is just a giant a giant pile of garbage through the galaxy. <laughs> and at the very end, um, they, they, uh, they go through this uh, little, I guess it's like a portal to find the new world, the seventh world, and they time skip. So... Uh, at the, right before they go in, uh, the main character, uh, Robert and Mary, Mary um, their characters, you know, like all 
uh, space movies and romance. You know, they make love. And then during this time skip, you find out she's pregnant. She has a kid. Then she has an older kid. And at the very end of the movie, they're like probably like 90, 90 years old. And the, the bad guys are storming in. They're about to kill him. And then their kid comes in and saves them. <laughs> Flash. And then they're out of the time warp. And it's like nothing ever happened. This movie is so bad, but it's so hilarious. Well, the funny thing is, when the only thing I remember about Ice Pirates, and when you told me you were doing this movie, I looked right at you, and I just said two words. Space herpes. And I that, I don't know why, but that, that not just herpes, sticks with me. Herpes. It just sticks with me. Yeah, yeah well, that's kind of what it does. That's the point. So... Uh, you know, even though it's a bad movie, there are things that people remember from it. That's And that's what makes it a good movie. Yeah, if you say so, Dave. <laughs> I will admit this is not a good movie, but it's hilarious to watch. And if you were looking for something to just kind of dumb your brain and laugh, watch this movie. Going to be a good one. So once again, that's going to do it for us this week. Remember, we'll be back next week. We've got all kinds of fun things we're going to talk about next week, and uh, we'll knock it out until then. But until we do... Go see a movie, right, Ryan? Go see a movie. That's what the point thing is. And that brings us to the end of this week's journey. But don't worry. Dave and Ryan have more movies to watch and more opinions to spew next week. You'll be the first to hear about Disney's Haunted Mansion, which is based off of their famed attraction. But is that enough to get Disney back on the right side of the box office? We will also introduce a new segment called Practical vs. CGI. You can relive and download today's episode at CastleCountryRadio.com. We'll see you next week on Dave and Ryan's Movie Review. That's it. That's a wrap. See you next week.